right. Thank you, Tim. It's good to be with you. I am the Dave Mitchell that he just referenced, and uh, it's great to be with you. I know when I wake up in a day like today, it's gloomy, it's cloudy, it's rainy. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to just sit around and uh, read the Orange County Register, believe it or not. But uh, we're glad that you're here. We look forward to a great morning as we continue in a series called Overcoming. This morning, the theme we're going to drive home is Overcoming Failure so that we finish strong, finish well. And there's a lot of ways that we fail, but uh, it's great stories that come out of those failures as well. I think it was John F. Kennedy, way back before he was assassinated, that he said, success has many fathers, but orphan is a failure. No one wants to claim it. And yet there are those that have lived through failure, and they are here to teach us. For example, Michael Jordan. One of the great quotes that comes out of the failure theme is, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And sometimes failure brings us to an angle that we hadn't thought about. For example, Winston Churchill, that great uh, man of World War II fame, success consists of going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. And we need that on occasion. Henry Ford said, failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. And I pray that those of us who have failed learn today about that as well. And this little quote, anonymously, those who try to do something and fail are infinitely better than those who try to do nothing and succeed. And there are people who succeed at doing nothing. And then finally, that leads us to where we want to go today. Failure is success if we learn from it. We're going to learn from the failure of one of the men in the Old Testament that probably if you grew up in the church like me, you heard about this guy all your life. His name is Samson. Samson is a man who lived in this region of the world. You see the little blue dot in the nation of Israel. The green that is outlined on there reflects in the days of Judges, about 1069 B.C. So we're talking about 1069 B.C. to 1049 B.C., this era of time, this ancient 3,000-year-old story and how relevant it is for us today. Samson lived in that region, that central part of Israel, just west of the city of Jerusalem today. And you see the little strip over there called Philistia? That is where the Philistines lived. At the very bottom of Philistia, you see the little city called Gaza. We're going to talk about Gaza as we go through the story of, the, of Samson. That's the region. Those are the people that were ruling over the nation of Israel, area of Judah, where Samson was living. Samson is one of the many judges that we've looked at in the book of Judges. And Samson's story, if we put it in movie form, and we took it literally in movie form of the story that he lived his life, it would be R-rated. We wouldn't be able to show it here Sunday morning. That's how graphic this man is. And his, really his story is one of failure that God helps him overcome. And so I want to show you that little snapshot. We were there in Israel this last year. And this is what it looks like, where Samson walked. That could have been a road or a roadway era where he would go through this little valley that you see just down below this area. That's where he would travel as he headed over to the Philistine area. And we'll see his story as it is unfolded. Samson, a man that we know of, Samson and Delilah. Hollywood makes stories about that. But there's so much more to his life that I want us to reveal. And it is this theme that if there's ever a takeaway that I want you to hear, and I don't know where all of us are at, obviously, but most of us in this room have an admission of some sort of failure. Some of us have failures that seems like everybody knows about it. 
Some of those failures that only we know about, God knows about. Some of the failures are the failure of a health because I couldn't do what I want to do with my body. Sometimes it's failure in job, failure in employment, failure in finances, failure in a marriage, failure in relationships, failure in your family. We, we have a variety of snapshots that each of us probably struggle with in one way or the other. And a lot of us, we keep it inside and we don't want anybody to know about the failure I feel about myself. I'm just a failure as a person. And some of us, we get that story that's written all over our lives and we wish that people didn't know. But I want us to learn from Samson. How God worked and blessed in his life. And I'm going to take a little snapshot. So we don't have a lot of time on the failure portion. I want to get to the God portion. But the Samson portion is a snapshot, sort of like a bunch of little Instagram pictures of his life. So let me take some of those from Judges 14 through 16 and see how God worked in his life. And he wants to work in our lives to help us to overcome those things, whatever the example of failure for us is. God wants us to overcome it, and I'll show you how he does that. Here are some of the failures. Failure number one is in relationships. A lot of us can relate to failed relationships. Over the course of life, we have those moments where it just didn't work out. And in Samson's life, we're going to see there's a failure in his marriage relationships. For example, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to have it in hand. There's an outline that is available for you that looks exactly like this one. I believe that your time with us trying to listen to me will be a whole lot more efficient if you sort of follow along sort of the the road map of Judges. And in Judges chapter 14, we read, beginning with Samson, just a little backstory. Samson was a Nazarite. He took the Nazarite vow. His, his parents took that for him. A Nazarite, as I put on the digging deeper on the back side of the outline, shows that it means I am consecrated to God. A Nazarite vows, a Nazarite was an individual that could not touch a dead body, could not drink alcoholic beverages, and would not cut their hair. And so those are three standards that Samson has as the Spirit of God came upon him, began to stir in 1325. Then in 14.1, we see the adult years of Samson. It says, Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and he told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines, and this is where he goes wrong. He's going to Philistines to find himself a wife. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Immediately, you should recognize that the marriage set up in those days is not exactly e-harmony or Christian mingle. He goes back to his family. He says, I was hanging out in Timnah, looking at all the Philistine women. And I happen to see a Philistine that I want, so I want her to you to go there and get her for me. Women didn't have any rights in those days. They're just traded off like cattle. And you'll see him refer her to as a heifer, as a fact, a little bit later, later on. It says, Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among your, our people? Who is the our people? Our people, the Jewish people? That's who you should marry, some Jewish woman. Surely there's somebody around here or amongst uh, 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 that you could take for a wife rather than this uncircumcised Philistine. And that's a slander. Obviously, there's heavy prejudice against the Philistines. They don't worry about political correctness. They don't worry about the kind of names that are called of other people, groups that are there with them. They're uncircumcised Philistines. And that's how they saw them. And Samson says in verse 3, Get her for me. Here it is how men work. I'm just, this is how guys operate. 
And for women, this is a little bit of a problem. Get her for me, for she looks good to me. Men base a lot on what they look at. And I don't say it's good or bad or right or wrong. It's just the way it is. Samson goes to the Philistines. He's checking out all the babes. And he says, man, I like the way that she looks. I don't know anything about her. Haven't done any background. No e-harmony backdrop on her. I don't know what's going on with her. All I know is that she looks good to me. And so I'm going back to mommy and daddy and said, mom, dad, I found the woman that I want to marry. Go get her for me. And the parents make that arrangement. And that's the kind of thing that's going on in those days. It's a very unusual dating process. We have a hard time relating to that today. So it says that after, however, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. And so that's the failure. The failure is that he marries a woman that Scripture in Exodus chapter 34 says don't marry. He disobeys God's word. Pure and simple. 2 Corinthians 6, you see on the screen, I won't read it, but I'll just summarize it. 2 Corinthians 6 says don't marry a woman or a man. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't marry a woman or a man that is not a follower of Jesus. That's a violation of Scripture. God writes His Word down so that we obey His Word. Samson's not obeying it. And not only did he marry the wrong woman, but the marriage didn't work out. He never completed the marriage. In essence, they had a sort of a divorce that went on. So there's a tremendous marriage failure, and a lot of us are struggling in this room. We've had marriage failures. It may feel like a failure to now, but you're still married. Or perhaps you were married to someone and you married the wrong person and it just turned out to be a painful, painful divorce. God says, you know what? I deal with people like that. I help them overcome those things. There's also a failure in his family. His parents said, don't marry a Philistine woman. And he says, I'm going to marry whoever I want to marry because I like the way she looks. So mom, dad, don't give me any back talk. Don't give me any sass. I'm going to marry her. Go get her for me. So he disrespects his parents. Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments says, Honor your father and your mother. Ephesians 6 says, repeats it again, Honor your father and your mother. He didn't take away that commandment. There's a respectfulness that we have for moms and dads. Especially when you're single living at home, you live under the rules of those who pay the mortgage. Believe it or not. But that's the way it is. That's what he disrespects. And so there is a breakdown of his family unit. And a lot of us are struggling with moms and dads that just don't, uh, just don't get us, right? They just don't get us. Well, we notice that also there is a failure in his anger. Just to fast forward in the story, because we just have limited time to get through every little snapshot, but here's what happens. Samson convinces his parents, she's the one. Parents come out, he travels to the city of Timnah. On his way to Timnah, he has a lion attack him. Most of us, if a lion attacks us, we're dead meat. Not Samson. Spirit of God comes on Samson. Spirit of God causes Samson to rip that lion, shred it. From bone and muscle, he just rips it apart and kills that lion. And he leaves the dead body on the side of the road. He goes on, checks out the, the, the marriage, they have a feast, they have a big party, celebrate. Big time. As he travels back and forth, he travels by that carcass again, the dead body of the lion, and he finds a honeycomb in it. And he finds honey, he scoops out and he takes some of the honey and he eats it. Nazarites are not allowed to touch dead carcasses. He touches the dead carcass of the lion. 
He eats that honey. And then as he goes, they have a little riddle fun with the uh, 30 friends that gathered around for this feast, this party. And he says to this riddle is, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. And they try to convince his wife now, this Philistine woman, what does the riddle mean because they have to give him 30 garments of clothing. Well, they finally get her to convince Samson to reveal the riddle because she goes to Samson with tears. Samson's weak spot is a woman, but Samson's weak spot is really a woman that cries. And so she cries. And he says, okay, I'll tell you what it is. And then it says in verse 18 and 14, So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, the sun went down, and what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion. They reveal the riddle to Samson. And then Samson responds in this way to these 30 that have figured out the riddle by harassing his wife. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Note to men, don't refer to your wife as a heifer. Generally speaking, for most women, that's not a compliment. That's Samson. Clearly, Samson needed premarital counseling because this isn't going well. And so he then rebukes them and he has to get 30 pieces of garments. So what does he do? He goes down to Ashkelon in the Philistine area and he kills 30 men and he takes the 30 pieces of clothing on the men that he kills and that's what he gives to these 30 men who are friends of his bride. It's just, it's just an upside down world. It's just like, really? This is the kind of guy that God uses? Crazy. It's crazy the stuff going on. Because his anger burned against them. And that's the key. Samson had a tremendous anger problem and his anger burned against them. And you'll notice what happens next. And this is just staggering. In chapter 15, let me back, actually verse 20 of 14. But Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. What had happened is that Samson is, Samson is sort of ADHD. He's easily distracted from the thing that's before him. He's just been in a party with his wife and 30 friends. And suddenly he's off on a crusade to kill 30 other men to get their clothes. And he kind of gets distracted, doesn't get back in time. And the father of his bride thinks, well, Samson's given up on you. So i got to give you to somebody else. And that's what happens here. In 15.1, but after a while, Samson, Samson, aren't you married? Shouldn't you be with your wife? Shouldn't you be consummating your marriage? It's not going on. But after a while, in this delay, in the time of the wheat harvest, so there's weeks or months that have passed, Samson visited his wife with a young goat. Finally, he shows up. He's got a goat. It's a wedding present to his wife. Typical, right? So he brings a goat to his wife, thinks that's a great thing. In that culture, probably it is. And I will go into my wife in her room. So he wants to consummate his marriage after weeks and weeks of being married to her. And then he discovers, but her father did not let him enter. And her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? He says, I have another woman. I have another daughter. I think she's actually prettier than the one you got. I'm willing to trade. He says, no, I don't want to do that. And so how would you feel if you walked up to your wedding day and there at the altar is your best friend marrying your what you thought would be your wife? That's Samson. So Samson's lost his wife. He's already violated. The, the marriage has already been violated. It's already been, you know, another man is, is, is with his wife. 
And so he's been cheated on, he's been betrayed, he's been divorced. It's a failure. And then Samson gets very angry about that. And he says in verse 3, This time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines. So he ties together 300 foxes or jackals. He ties them together. They run through the wheat field and they burn up the wheat field of the Philistines. They destroy their crops. Wipes out their way of learning, of having a living. And it says that in, in verse 6, as a result of that destruction, verse 6, the Philistines said, Who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite. See, they still thought Samson was married to this woman not knowing that he has, the father has given her to another companion. Because he took his wife and gave her to the companion. And here, remember the story uh, just a few weeks ago, the tragic burning of the Jordanian pilot that ISIS captured. We see those things and we say, this is just, how, how do people do this? Go back 3,000 years, this is how people do this. This is their culture of massive brutality. Notice in verse 6, So the Philistines came up and they burned her, his wife, and her father with fire. They just ignited him. That's how they, that's the brutality of the world in which they live. And so Samson said, Since you act like this, I will surely take my revenge on you. And the battle keeps going back and forth. The anger, the revenge, the rebuke, the destruction... The anger that is destroying the people that are around Samson. Ever since he made the decision to marry the wrong woman, there is a domino effect of failure leading to failure leading to failure. And finally, this woman that he married that he should not have married, she finally is burned to death and her father. It's just a massive disobedience to the word and will of God. And creating all this havoc and this chaos and this conflict. And finally, death. And God says, that's why I give you my word. That's why I give you guidelines. I give you instruction. Because I know that failure begets failure. And one leads to another and people are getting damaged all around. That's Samson. We don't always hear him in that kind of that light. And his failure to lead other people in righteousness. Let me just summarize 9 through 11. He goes back to his own people of Judah. And the people of Judah says, Samson, what are you doing? You're, you're irritating the Philistines who control us. Surrender yourself to the Philistines so that we can get along with them. And this is the failure to lead them in righteousness. He didn't do that. He allowed them to tie them up. So another miracle of taking the jawbone of an ass and destroying a bunch of uh, Philistines is the result of that. But it's Samson's failure to rally his own Jewish people to say, we will not surrender to the world around us. We will overcome the world around us. Samson did not do that. Remember Gideon? He rallies together 300 men and they defeat the enemy. God says, that's what I want my judges to do. For Samson, it's surrender. It's assimilate. It's acquiesce to an enemy that wants to destroy me. In the spiritual world, we don't want to surrender to the values of a world that wants to take us down. We overcome that world. Samson did not lead the people to do that. And we are people to be followers of Jesus. And we overcome those things. And then there's this famous portion of his life of the failure of sexual immorality and temptation. If you drop down to chapter 16, in verse 1, Then Samson went to Gaza, the Philistine area, and he saw a harlot there, and he went into her. 
And when he was told of the Gazites saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night saying, let us wait until morning, then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and he took hold of the doors of the city of the gate, and he took the posts that hold those ga- those doors, he pulled them out with the bars, and then he put them on his shoulders and he carried them up to the top of a, of a mountain. We don't know where that mountain is, but it's somewhere opposite Hebron. He carries it. These are three-story tall doors, and he carries them. He's hugely muscular and strong. We don't see the Spirit of God upon him, but he had strength to do that. But the thing that is so disturbing is this. He goes to Gaza, the enemy, if you will. And what does everybody in the city of Gaza know about Samson? This Jewish man, this Jewish judge, this leader of Judah, where do we find him? In the home of a prostitute. How many would vote to hire me if I said, you know, I have a problem. I I tend to hang out with prostitutes. I go to bed with them. I hope there's not a person in this room that would say, yeah, Dave, that's, that's okay. Well, we all have our thing, you know. <laughs> no. No, we don't. Samson, hanging out with a harlot. And this is who God is using. And if I'm God saying, you know, maybe I can do better. Maybe that's lowering the bar of the standard a little bit too low to say, you know what? That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Occasionally I get frustrated with life too. And so here's Samson. And God, of course, allows him to escape. There's no consequence to this harlotry. There's no consequence to the sexual immorality. He just gets up and he has the strength to rip off the doors of the city and off he goes. He heads back to his own territory. When he gets to his own territory, he meets up with a woman that we all know. Her name is Delilah. A lot of people know the name of Delilah. We don't always know what the name means. Some people have translated the word Delilah. That means to flirt. Some people see the Arabic portion of the name of the Delilah. That means in the night or in the darkness. Some have seen the name of Delilah as being translated as devotee, as if she maybe is a temple prostitute. All we know is that she is not a God-honoring woman. She may be half Canaanite, half half Jewish. For some reason, Samson is drawn to Delilah, and the storyline of Delilah goes something like this. He somehow catches up with Delilah, and they spend the nights together. The Philistines know that he is spending the nights with Delilah. She's got a contract with them. They pay her thousands and thousands of what would be U.S. dollars to find out the secret of Samson's strength so they can kill this man who is creating havoc in the Philistine area. So they spend the night together, and Delilah says, Samson, what's the source of your strength? He says, well, if you take some of these special cords that are made some of, some of the organs of animals and you tie me up with them, I will have no strength. So that night, she ties him up. And then she says to the Philistines that paid her the money, come on in, he's tied up. They come in, ambush him, He breaks off the cords, defeats the Philistines. Another night, they're going to bed. It's been a long day, tired. Delilah sits next to Samson and says, Samson, you lied to me. What's the source of your strength? Well, if you take fresh rope that have never been uh, used before, you tie me over with those, I've lost my strength. 
So that night, he falls asleep. She ties him up. She signals to the Philistines, come on in, he's, he's weak, I've got him. She, he breaks off the cords of the brand new rope and defeats the Philistines that came to get him. Third time, a third time, Delilah comes to him and says, Samson, what's the source of your strength? He says, well, you take this long flowing flock, uh, the, the, uh, flowing hair, what am I trying to say, and you braid it. Seven braids, I will lose my strength. Now just think about it for a moment. How dense is Samson that for three nights, Delilah keeps on saying, you know what, I'd like to know what your source of strength is. And every time he reveals it to her, next thing he knows, he's waking up from his sleep and the Philistines are trying to kill him. Why does he keep on doing that? How dumb is this guy? And I mean that respectfully. That he keeps on repeating over and over these things. And so finally he has her his hair tied together in braids while he's sleeping in her lap. And of course she calls in the Philistines and they are not able to capture him because he's too strong. And after three times of doing that, here's what happens. Verse 15. Here's poor Delilah. Delilah says, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me. She said, what kind of a dating relationship is this that you say you love me, but you won't let me kill you? What kind of arrangement is this? How unfair is this? There was no box in eHarmony about letting me kill you. Uh, so this is crazy, isn't it? This is Samson. What's he doing? And so she's pleading with him, I love you. you. You should say you love me by letting me know the secret of your power so I can kill you. Come on. Life's so unfair, she would say at this point. You have deceived me three times and have not told me where you kept your strength. And, and he knows that every time he tells her, she allows the enemy to come and try to kill him. He, he knows this. There's something about when we're in temptation and we're in a struggle and we're doing what's wrong and we sort of know it's wrong but we still do it and we think, what are we thinking later? What, why am I doing this? I know this is wrong. I still do it and I'm going to lose something if I keep doing it but it's worth the risk because I like doing it. That's Samson and Delilah. It's just crazy. So she balls him out because he won't tell her the source of his strength so she can kill him. All of us feel that way. We want someone dead and they won't let us kill them. It's just frustrating, isn't it? And so in verse 16, it came about when she pressed him daily. And here's a good word for women. And it's really for men too. I don't, I don't want to sound, you know, somebody going to write me, oh, you're so gender biased. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. Men don't like nagging wives. We just don't like that. His soul was annoyed to death. Annoyed to death. And we don't want to get away by nagging and annoying to death. I mean, she was practically killing him just with her nags. She didn't need the Philistines. And so he finally confesses to her what the secret is. And the secret is this. I'm a Nazarite. I've never had my hair cut in all my life. I don't even know what Fantastic Sam's is all about. And so he then tells her, cut my hair and I'll lose all my strength. So, again, 
Samson, you idiot. And so that night, she cuts his hair. He falls asleep. He tells her the real secret, and he falls asleep, and he doesn't care. How cavalier an attitude to the blessing and the gifts of God upon his life. So she shaves his head, again calls in the Philistines, and they capture him. They take him back to Gaza, and when they take him back to Gaza, they punch out his eyes, they gouge out his eyes, and he's blinded. And they make him a grinder. He's working in this grinder, mill, probably grinding up uh, seed or grinding up fruit. Whatever they're doing, they're grinding it. And that's all he does. He becomes a slave to the Philistines as he grinds away. And that's the price of divulging and giving in to temptation and sin and a cavalier attitude towards God and just pure stupidity. That's his failure. And here's the worst of all that there is a failure that then my failure leads to a testimony to the Lord that is tarnishing the name of God. If I failed in some of the ways that Samson failed, my failure wouldn't be so impactful upon you as much as it would be impactful upon the name of Almighty God that has entrusted a stewardship of a faithfulness to God. And that's why it's so tragic when God's chosen saints fail. We tarnish the name of God. As the Philistines looked at Samson, his eyes gouged out. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And the people saw him. They praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, and every, even the destroyer of our country who has slain many of us. Here is Samson, they know as a follower of Elohim, of Yahweh, of God, the Jewish God, the Jewish faith. And Samson has surrendered himself to the immorality of temptation. And the worst, temp- the worst failure of all is that the Philistines think their God is greater than our God. That's the worst. Let me s- segue. Here's a picture of a skull. It is not mine. But it's a picture of Lee Fuyan's skull. Who's he? Lee Fuyan, a few years ago, was attacked by some people and went to the hospital and they patched him up, thought he was okay. But for the four years following the attack, he had headaches. He had headaches. He couldn't figure out why. So finally, after four years of pain in his head, he went to the doctor again. They did a skull x-ray. And this is his skull. And what they discovered is that what they didn't discover the first time is that the knife that this man had attacked him with had gone into his skull, had broken off, and there's four inches of a knife in his skull, in his brain. Now that's like, how do you miss that, you know? In any case, they missed it. And so for four years, he lives with this pain. They finally realize what it is, and they extract it, and I think he's okay now. But that was back in 2011. And here's my thought about that. And this is why I want to just tease you with this a little bit. I wonder if for some of us, we have pain. We're not sure why. We haven't maybe been honest with ourselves about where it is or how it get, got there. But we have pain in our marriage. We have pain in our bodies. We have pain on our emotions. We have pain. And if God took an x-ray of our heart, would he see something that's there? That he says, I want to get rid of that. I want to get that thing out of you. I don't want that to, oh, no, I want that to no longer be the source of your pain. I want to set you free from that. I want to extract it by my great power. I want to set you free from that pain. 
And for those of us who are honest with God, says, God, are there any areas of the failures we've seen in Samson that maybe they're in my life? Maybe I'm doing those things or versions of them. Maybe I'm the only one that knows that I'm doing those things, but God knows. And God sees through His spiritual x-ray a foreign object of sin that doesn't belong there. And God says, let's get rid of it. That's what God does. Here's how He does that. Here's how He makes that happen. He helps us to finish well. There's something that happens that when we have failures in our lives, it's the grace of God that becomes more powerful than we ever thought it would be. It's God's grace that causes a greater good that comes out of it, even if we can't see it. This is what it says in Judges 14.4. He marries the wrong woman. He disobeys his parents. Notice what God says. Here's God's little commentary on this thing. However, his father and his mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. We look at that, we say, don't disobey your parents, don't disobey God, don't marry the Philistine woman. But God says, you know what, I see something you don't see. I see a bigger picture of how I'm going to destroy the Philistines through this act of disobedience. Does God say disobeying Him is okay? No, He does not. But does God say that whatever I've done that is a failure to God, I can cause good to come out of that no matter what? Yes, God says, I do that. That's the grace of God that helps me to overcome the failures of my life. He doesn't want me to squalor in it, to to wallow in it, to, to experience the pain in it. He says, I want to extract it, and I want to see good that comes out of it. I won't waste that. That's why Romans 8, 28 familiar to us. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. He wants to bring good to all things, even my sinful things. All things. God's good is sometimes not visible. When Samson was marrying that woman and his parents were standing off to the side in complete dismay, they couldn't see good. When Samson was laying with a harlot, I couldn't see good. When Samson was tantalized by Delilah's temptations, I couldn't see good. But when I finished the story, there was good. And we can't always see it in the moment. And it requires this larger view of what God is doing. Here's a great illustration. John Erickson taught I'd love to refer to her numerous times, I think, Paralyzed at age 17 by diving into this body of water, as a beautiful teenage girl, she is finally a quadriplegic. And here is what she now says. Many years later, she's probably in her 50s or 60s at this point. After I broke my neck in 1967 diving accident, I learned I would be paralyzed for the rest of my life. I was convinced my life was not worth living. Had it been legal, most people would have thought that euthanasia was a rational choice for me, a depressed 17-year-old quadriplegic waning away in a hospital for almost two years. And who can blame her? What a failure. What life is there now for me? How can God ever bring something out of that? And she says, however, time, that prized commodity in which is forever lost after you die, taught me how precious life really is. Even with the hands that don't work and feet that don't walk. Now decades later, millions of people have been encouraged because of our ministry for special needs families at Johnny and Friends International Disability Center. If I had chosen death, none of that could happen. The good that Johnny has seen has been revealed 
as she walks in faith that God can overcome this too. Whatever you're going through, God will bring good if you walk in faith, trusting the grace of God to bring good. If you give up and quit, you've lost. But if you keep going, trusting God, He'll bring it about. And one of the ways He brings it about is we believe in Jesus. We allow His Spirit to come in us. We confess our sins. We remove that knife in our brain, that that source of pain. We remove that through confession of sin. The sin is removed from us. And what God does is He sends His Spirit in us as the Spirit went into Samson. Notice these verses. This is why Samson had all that power. Judges 14.6, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Judges 14.19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mighty, and he went down and killed the thirty. Judges 15.4, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. God would bless him with a spiritual power that he couldn't have in human strength alone. But that Spirit in the Old Testament, it comes and it goes. It spot task and time, task and time. Whatever the task, whatever the time, the Spirit of God comes upon the Old Testament saints, gives them power. Now what God says, I'm going to give you that Holy Spirit. I'm going to give them to you 24 hours a day. It's not going to be task and time. It's going to be for all of time. You will always have Him in you. What Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing, regeneration, renewing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in us and He cleanses us. Every failure I've ever done, it is gone. God says, I don't see it anymore. I don't remember it anymore. It's buried in the depths of the ocean. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone. And my spirit gives you power. First Corinthians twelve seven. another example. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. When you and I believe in Jesus, we confess our sins. We remove the proverbial knife from the head. And the pain is removed. He gives us a spirit that Samson had that makes things possible that otherwise are impossible. Restores marriages heals bodies, forgiveness for those who have wronged us. God does miracles. That's what He's in a business of doing. But He may humble us sometimes. He humbles us through means that we don't like. Sometimes our arrogance, our narcissistic ways, our pride. We're, just ref- we're like Samson with, with Delilah. You fool! Why are you continuing to do that? Repeating these mistakes. So God humbles Samson. He takes them. He gouges out his eyes by the Philistines. And that breaks him. God uses sometimes pain to break us. Paul says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a physical pain, a messenger of Satan. I don't want to exalt myself, God says to him. And he said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses. So the power of Christ dwells in me. Maybe you're going through that pain now. Maybe God is humbling you now. Your time now is to say, Lord, I surrender to you. I don't like this. God, would you bring something good out of this pain, out of this awfulness of what my life is in? I don't like this. So we go to God, and this is what Samson did. He goes to God, and he appeals to Him. At the very end, the last thing he does in his life, he's there in this Gaza city. He's in this Philistine temple. And he's be, and he's comes to this little guy, and the little guy says, Show me where the pillars are. He shows him where the pillars are. Blindly, he leads him to these pillars. 
And there as he stands before Almighty God, he asks for one more chance to prove that he can be a servant of his and do it in a sacrificial servicehood, servanthood of God. And as Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. God gives us numerous opportunities, including second chances at the end of life, to say, God, I have failed you. I have hurt people. I have disappointed myself. But God, I come to you by the power of your Spirit and the grace that you showed to Samson. Would you give it to me now so that I can overcome whatever it is I struggle with? And God will provide that. God will do that. If he'll take Samson and his history of serial failures and the grace of God blesses him with another opportunity to serve him, there's no one in this room that is exempt from that same grace, that same spirit, that same power to overcome it this day. I love that imagery of Samson on the, between the two pillars. His outstretched hands. Can you see him? as his hands are stretched out between those two pillars in that Philistine temple, in that moment he destroys that temple, it collapses, and he kills, Scripture says, he kills more Philistines in that one day than all of his other life. And that's what he was there to do, is to destroy the enemy. We're not here to destroy people, but we're here to destroy the enemy, the evil one, sin, immorality that wants to destroy us. We're here to destroy that have victory over that. So his arms are outstretched as he calls to God. He says, God, give me one more chance to serve you and be faithful to you. And as his arms stretch out, they crush the pillars. The building collapses. And really, in so many ways, it's kind of another portrait of another man, God himself, Jesus Christ. As Christ stretches out his hands, and as they extend on that cross, and as Samson gave his life for the cause of God, Jesus gave his life for the cause of us, that we could be forgiven, cleansed, healed, made right. And God invites you into that world by trusting in him this day. Would you pray with me as we prepare for the elements of communion and trust God that as we have these elements passed in a moment and as a song is sung by Devonian and Britton, that this would be a moment for us to reflect on what God is teaching me. What is that area of failure that may be in my life? God wants to root that out. And that as we take the cup and the bread, it becomes my opportunity to be reunited with a gracious God, a forgiving God, a powerful God that restores our lives this moment. Let me pray. Father, help us now as we commit to you to do your will. Father, it's encouraging to me personally to realize that I can, I can mess up and, and there are so many ways, both in heart and mind and sometimes in deed, where I fail you. And for many of us in this room, we have failed you. But God, through Samson, you, you, you give us a picture. You give us a picture of your grace, a picture of healing, a picture of second chances, a picture of spiritual power that restores, corrects, and guides and helps us to finish well.
thank you. As we come before you and as we bring these elements of the bread and the cup and the symbol of the body and the crucifixion of Christ, may shed blood for us. We thank you for them. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.